0: series is in the book of Galatians so if you have your Bibles and want to turn to Galatians 5 you may or if you want to look that up on your phone we had a fun weekend we had an elders and deacons retreat we brought some of the uh, ministry team as well it was funny to try and figure out where everyone was gonna sleep we divided the cabin into snorers and non-snorers and discovered the next morning that everyone who thought they were non-snorers and criticized the snorers actually were snorers. It's funny how that, how that works. Um, not that snoring earns us anything with God or makes us better people, but, you know, certainly can differentiate us. So uh, if your husband or friend thinks, I don't snore, talk to the people that they roomed with. Um, In my blurb, I used an article on minimalism uh, to make a point. I am not picking on minimalists. If you are a minimalist, that's fine. Um, If you are someone who's trying to live with under a hundred things, that's fine. Um, But what caught me in this article was the self-righteousness and the promise of something that uh, I believe only Jesus can provide to us. This is the article. It says minimalism is a tool that can assist you in finding freedom. Freedom from fear. I had no idea. Now I am mocking minimalism a little bit. I'm mocking this article, okay? Um, Freedom from fear. Really? Having less stuff is going to free me from fear? Here's the next one freedom from worry. Freedom from worry? Freedom from over being overwhelmed. Here's the best. Freedom from guilt. I had no idea if I just got rid of my stuff, I could be free from guilt. Freedom from depression, freedom from the trappings of the consumer culture we've built our lives around. Real freedom. There are... Thousands of self help tools out there that will promise you the same thing. There are articles, there are commercials promising to do for you what only Jesus says he is able to do. And what's challenging is that if you buy into it, if you look to the next fad to become your savior, You will, again, find it lacking. If you look to the new trend to make you a better person, it might make you a more healthy person or a person who doesn't have as much, but it will not change your heart. And I believe that the Bible teaches clearly that the only way to be free from guilt, free from worry, free from the things that they listed, is through a personal relationship with the Savior, Jesus Christ. He is the one who transforms our hearts and frees us, certainly from guilt and from the worry of trying to become better through some trend or human tactic. But this is often what the culture does. They offer these things, and often this is the way we come across. When we offer people Christianity when we say the things that I just say it just sounds like a new trend well if you just had Jesus in your life your life would be better if you just had him your worries would go away and your guilt would go away and I think that presents a challenge for us but I think the challenge is that we are truthfully double-minded people who struggle to enjoy and live in the grace that we have in Jesus. And so it makes our testimony seem hypocritical. Paul is concerned about that. The Apostle Paul is writing to a group of people who are being pressured with, the, with a trend that came out of Jerusalem through teachers who were telling them, yes, Jesus will rescue you, but you need to add to that. Jew, obedience to Jewish ceremony, obedience to Jewish law. Paul writes, he begins in the, in the letter saying that he's an apostle, not from man, uh, you know, not from some corporation pushing the new trend, but uh, through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. He wants you to know that his message has come to him through God and that it's completely unique. And what Jesus is offering is nothing less than the reconciliation of your heart to the Father's, the cleansing of your sin, and a new creation within you that will free you from consumerism and free you from fear because you have now a relationship with the Father through Jesus Christ. Paul has been urging them to stand in this freedom, that Christ has won for them, that he has provided to them through grace. And uh, this starts in chapter 5, verse 1, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore. And for the next two paragraphs, what he is arguing is you can lose the freedom that Christ has provided for you. He is not arguing that you can lose your salvation. He is arguing that you can let go of the freedom which is what christ provides the last of the three paragraphs which we'll talk about next week says that you can abuse the freedom that has been given to you so let me read our text you can follow along with me in galatians 5 paul says you were running well who hindered you from obeying the truth this persuasion is not from him who calls you a little leaven leavens the whole lump I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed, and I wish that those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. I'm going to move to our lesson, which is God calls us to stand firm in the freedom of grace. And accept the scandal of Jesus's crosswork, the offense of Jesus's crosswork. So let's look at our text together. Okay, the first thing is that God is calling you to live in grace. Paul warns the church over and over that false teachers are going to come in. In John, John the Apostle warns the church. The church had already experienced the tearing and the upsetting of families through people who were teaching the false gospel. In John, it was different than Paul, but there was this similar root that human effort, that human uh, uh, obedience would produce something with God, would earn something with God. And Paul challenges them and reminds them of this primary theme Of his writing, the message of grace didn't come from man, it came from God. And if someone is speaking something else, you need to realize that's not coming from the Lord. The voice of God is always leading us deeper into grace, not into works. The voice of God is always leading us into the truth that we are completely declared righteous before God, that we are completely forgiven, that we have been adopted and brought into God's family, and nothing can change that. And nothing can make God love us more, and nothing can make God love us less. We are completely secure in God through the grace of Jesus Christ. So this is Paul. This has been a major theme of this letter, whether we've tracked it well or not. Paul starts out, I'm an apostle, not by the will of man, but by the will of God. In chapter 1, verse 12, Paul says that when he, a Jew who was preaching Judaism and even persecuting the Christians, when God came and revealed his son to him, that it was a revelation from God and that the message of the gospel is something that he received directly from God. Chapter 1, verse 16, he urged them urges them to keep in step with this truth and the truth is that salvation is only by grace through faith in christ grace alone faith alone christ alone he goes so far as to say that if an angel or anyone else preaches something different to you the voice is not from god and that's important for us to realize it's important for us not to take prisoners It's important for us to realize that there is a danger that we face through false teaching in the evangelical church, let alone from people outside of the church. For some reason, we love the idea of self-rescue. I appreciate what Tim Keller uh, had to say. Um, He says, if I get there quickly enough... We love messages of self-salvation or self-embetterment. They are extremely attractive, whether you're re- you are religious or secular. The gospel says uh, you are hopeless and that you re- need to receive help from outside yourself. But God provides a rescue which gives you more than any false salvation in your heart may choose or may chase. And if you add, if you start to say, to be saved, I need the grace of Christ plus something, you completely reverse the order of the gospel, making it null and void. We face these voices all the time. Um, I've used minimalism. I could go into how we view politics, what we say about politics. If you listen to the political narrative. It is, we're right, you're wrong. Our position is right, your position is wrong, and we're better people for it, and you're not a good person if you don't agree with us. These are not the voices of Christ. Christ is calling us not to the law, but to the grace of God. All the law can do is prove that I am a transgressor. It does not justify All that religious piety will do is prove that I am a transgressor. All it will do is make me a better uh, citizen. It will not make me right with God. Obedience to the law, Paul says, does not sanctify you. It does not change and transform you. The Spirit of God does that through faith. This persuasion, Paul says, does not come from him who calls you. And we need, as John says, to test the spirits to see if they be from the Lord. And anyone who would add to the work of Jesus is not the voice of God. God is calling you to faith and repentance. As Paul says, he is calling you to obey the gospel, to obey the truth. And the truth that he has been teaching is salvation through faith alone, in Christ alone, by grace alone. This is how he begins the letter, saying that he is writing to, uh, to us from him who called you in the grace of Christ. And he says, and yet we are turning, you are turning to the Galatians. He says you are turning to a different gospel. And This is the essence of salvation through grace. It calls us to abandon all hope in ourselves. It calls us to lean entirely on the work of Jesus by faith. It requires us to confess our desperate situation. It is not God shaming us. He is not heaping rules upon us. He is calling us to the work of the Spirit by faith. So hear the voice of God calling us to live in the freedom of the grace that He has provided. Paul says He is calling us to stand firm. You see this in verses 9, uh, verse 10 and 12. He warns them, in verse 1 of chapter 5, he says, For freedom you have been set free. Stand firm in that and do not submit to the yoke of slavery. That's why he asked this question at the beginning of our text, Who has hindered you? He asks a similar question in chapter 3, verse 1. Who has bewitched you? Who has tricked you? Chapter 4, verse 10, he highlights that they have already started down this path. And in the previous paragraph, if they accept circumcision, they have abandoned the hope that they have in Christ. They're looking now to themselves. They're looking now to their obedience to be their salvation. His point is that principles penetrate. I got that from Hendrickson, so I quote him there. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. A little false teaching changes the narrative. It changes the meta-narrative. A little false teaching affects all the teaching. Leaven in the Scriptures was prohibited before Passover, seven days, so that there would be no change in the bread. Any leaven dipped in the bread or added to the bread would pollute it for the ceremony. Jesus teaches about this and uses it to decry the leaven or the false teaching of the Pharisees. And so he warns us, As he began the letter that anyone who preaches something else is not from God. And that if we allow ourselves, standing at that crossroad between faith and repentance and our own self-righteousness, our own self-salvation, that if we listen to the teaching, if it has penetrated our our hearts, it will lead us down a path of self-salvation. He says that corruption has consequences. He says in uh, verse 10, I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. The penalty is twofold. He anticipates the wrath of God against false teachers. But it's more than that. It's a really interesting text in 1 Corinthians 10 when Paul is addressing a church that has fallen into deep sin, deep divisions within the church between the spiritual leaders that they follow, deep division in the church between what is. how should we respond to a brother who is sinning in our midst, a sin, Paul says, that not even the unbelievers participate in, that a man would be with his mother-in-law or his stepmother, gross immorality. And yet somehow they were living in grace in such a way that they were looking to the ceremonies that they participated in, particularly baptism in the Lord's table, as all they needed. Look, I kept the rules. Look, I kept the ceremony. And as Paul weaves his argument and lands in chapter 10, he says, you know, there's some other people who in God's history in the history of of God's story of salvation, thought that as long as they had the ceremonies, they were okay. It was the Jews. It was Israel. They had a form of baptism. They all went through the sea. They had a form of the Lord's table. They ate manna every day. But they put their hope in that. They put their confidence that they were right with God because of their ceremonies And you know what developed? Idolatry. A deep idolatry. So that even their flesh was inflamed and they engaged in horrible immorality. So that thousands of them died in one day of God's wrath. And here's the point. When we focus on some new rule or some new trend to make us good people or when we focus even on religion to make us good people and like the pharisees in luke that jesus addresses who stands up to pray and says i've i've fasted i've tithed i've done these things i've never committed adultery i've never committed murder father hear me when we do that and we limit our obedience to the law and convince ourselves that we're okay because we've kept these commandments, we ignore the flesh. We ignore the depth of our corruption and it festers. Does it surprise you to watch gross immorality come out of the church? To hear of prominent pastors who have left the faith? To hear of large denominations that have tolerated abuse internally? It shouldn't. Because this is what happens when we look to religion or when we look to rules or when we look to our standards to produce our righteousness instead of looking to the grace of God through the Spirit's work in our lives. And you say, Tim, what's the difference? It is a vast difference. Grace calls us to confession every day. Grace teaches us that apart from God, we are desperate sinners. This is what drew me to the reformed faith, though I take no glory in being reformed. As Spurgeon said, I will will declare my belief in, in the five points of Calvinism all day long, but I will make my boast in Christ and Christ alone. So I'm glad that I'm in this camp of Reformed Presbyterianism. But the thing that drew me was reading Lorraine Bettner's book, consumed with my legalism, consumed with my self-righteousness, reading about total depravity and what that means about my total inability and coming face-to-face with my utter brokenness. And in that moment, hearing the still, small voice of Jesus say, Tim, that's why you need me. And I knew what was going on in my life. I knew the sins that I was covering in my veil of righteousness. And I knew that I had no power over my flesh. I could not control these desires. And I needed something more. And it wasn't to walk the aisle again. It was to come into the grace of God through Jesus Christ. It was to walk, to keep in step with the Spirit, to learn to live by faith and repentance in dependence on the grace of God through Jesus Christ. That's what drew me into this Presbyterian church. But this is what happens. When we focus on our self-righteousness, when we focus on our obedience, when we think that we're righteous because we've adopted some new trend, it has no power. It's just the law. It has no power to transform our hearts. It only makes us feel like we don't need from God. And in that condition, our flesh blossoms. I like what Keller says here, and I I made a note to read this one to you as well. He says, faith literally energizes love. Did you get that? Faith energizes love. Love. And neither religious moralism or licentious non-religiosity can do this because both are essentially selfish and insecure. Selfishness and insecurity cannot produce love because love is joyful self-giving. Faith in Jesus Christ can produce love this is the difference between the grace through faith and law and then he says halfway doesn't work circumcision in that day was an entrance rite, a rite of entrance into the community paul says something that is sarcastic and quite quite frankly very crude if not vulgar when he says that i wish they would just not do it halfway in that day in Galatia there was actually a cult where the priests would become eunuchs in service and Paul says if you're going to diverge from the gospel then go all the way don't play games but Paul has confidence and I love this in the text if you'll look at it verse 10 I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view This is not Paul saying I'm confident in you he says I'm confident in the Lord this is similar to what he says in Philippians chapter 1 verse 6 when he says that he who began the work in you will complete it even though they've gone down this path because they belong to Christ Christ will draw them back and that is his confidence finally he says that God is calling us to the scandal of grace. Verse 11 But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense, that word offense is scandal. It reminds me of one of Michael Card's songs that I loved when I was coming out of my tradition into the Presbyterian world. And the whole title of the album was about scandal because the whole title of the album was about the cross of Jesus Christ. What is the offense of the cross? The offense of the cross, Paul has said in chapter 3, is that anyone hung on a tree is considered cursed by God. And so how could this cursed individual be our savior? And yet he is. But the curse... Of the gospel, the scandal of the gospel is not just how Christ redeemed us, but that there is nothing we can contribute to that redemption. Faith in Christ seems so simplistic, it seems so easy. Isn't there something I should offer? Isn't there something I should do? The gospel answers back no. There's nothing you can do, but lean on Christ for your salvation. Lean on Christ for your admittance into the family of God. Lean on Christ for the transformation and the obedience that your heart, redeemed, longs for. Don't move into trends. Don't move into the newest religious fad. Look to Christ Stay at the foot of the cross. Bask in the righteousness provided for you. Do not offer your own. Receive what he has provided. Live in faith and repentance. As God continues to transform you and realize in your mind, uh, realize to your heart how sinful you are, there is a simple solution. And that is to repent and believe the gospel that is our lifestyle as believers paul was accused of preaching circumcision whoever was scandalizing whoever was upsetting these people was saying well you know paul still preaches circumcision and paul says that's not at all the truth and if it was then why am i still being persecuted and it says in the end of the chapter uh, end of chapter six Uh, Far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. This is his boast. This is his declaration. And what were those who were preaching circumcision trying to avoid? The very thing they were accusing Paul of. Verse 12, it is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. This is the gospel that Paul is declaring that we have nothing to boast in except the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And as scandalous as that might be, as hard as that might be to accept in our self-righteous hearts, It is the gospel, and it is the life-transforming power of God. We must confront our efforts to self-rescue. And I wonder if we hear the call of grace. Do you hear God calling you away from the things that you would do to make yourself a better person, to make yourself more acceptable to God? Maybe you're in church for the first time today. And you think that going into a, entering into a relationship with, with God requires something from you. Maybe that you give to the church or that you clean your life up first. My friends, that is not the gospel. The gospel is of redemption through faith. It is the simple act of faith in Christ that unites you to him. What is God calling you to repent of today? to believe maybe you've put your faith in your health in being a healthy person or in your finances or in your success and advancement in company maybe those things assuage your guilt maybe it's your religious practice whatever it is abandon it to christ these things do not are not bad to do they're not bad to be a part of unless they rob our hearts of our boast in the cross unless they supplant, and a Christ supplemented is a Christ supplanted. I often talk to people and ask them, I had this conversation this weekend, actually I didn't have to ask, they just told me what God was calling them to repent over. It's hard for me to imagine a a Christian who hasn't heard from the voice of God this week. What is God leading you to repent of? That should be an easy one for all of us to answer because the Holy Spirit is always leading us deeper into the grace of God where he wants to. I told you about how I had, in a small group, derided a company in our community and how God wouldn't leave me alone until I wrote an email confessing and asking forgiveness. It was an annoying time, I'll tell you that. From early in the morning until about 3 o'clock, God had been pounding on me and reminding me of what I said and drawing me to conclusions about how would I feel if that was said about me. And I finally said, okay, uncle, I repent it was wrong. And I went and crafted an email and sent it. And as soon as I sent it, the conviction was over. And I was able to turn from my sin. I was able to accept the grace and the forgiveness of God. I was able to seek to make a new course of life by the grace of God, to keep in step with the Spirit. I was talking to someone this weekend who just confessed. Folks, that should be normal for us. They said, I was reading this, and the Lord showed me what, a, what kind of person I am to my wife, and it's wrong. I can't believe she stayed with me this long. I can't believe what I did to my children. And I had to sit there and say, me too. Me too. I'm with you. We shared a beautiful moment of depending on the forgiving grace of God together. But this is what God is doing. He's calling us to faith and repentance. What is he leading you to repent of? How is he calling you deeper into grace? What is he leading you to believe about himself? Having begun in the spirit, what are you doing to be perfected? You say, well, I came to church today doesn't help say well I gave money that won't do it what are you doing to be perfected to be complete this is what Paul asks the Galatians this is what the gospel calls us to is to answer that question having begun in the spirit what are you doing to be perfected to answer that question with I'm leaning on Jesus I'm waiting on the Holy Spirit. I'm listening to the Holy Spirit. I am connected to the means of grace so that the Spirit can work the grace of God in me. This is the gospel. The means of grace are the points of contact. where The Holy Spirit ministers to us the finished work of Jesus. He ministers to us the finished work of Jesus. So, yes, coming to church is connecting to the means of grace. It won't earn you anything, but the Spirit might work through it if you'll listen as he speaks. God, help us to live in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, thanks for the time together. We, we, are, we are often at this crossroads where we could lose and probably have lost some of the freedom that has been provided for us in Jesus. Lord, I I pray that as we sit here, your Spirit is even tugging on hearts and convicting people, either of, of ways they haven't loved others or of ways that they have supplemented Christ in their life. I pray that in our discussions that we would evaluate that, that we would allow your Spirit to walk through our hearts and and call us to faith and repentance. Father, you have so much for us in Christ. You have so much for us. Would you help us? For we cannot help ourselves in Jesus' name.